and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. He told us, we talked about repentance and how repentance requires not only a change of mind, not only a change of direction, but it also, it prepares the way for a move of God in our lives. When we truly repent, it changes things. It changes everything about our lives. And so repentance, it says, put us in a position to receive. Repentance puts us in a position to receive what God has for us. And so what an awesome word. Today, we're gonna continue this journey with Jesus as we look at the last week of Jesus. We're gonna, if I titled this message, it would just be called the last week of Jesus. We're gonna look at the entire last week of what Jesus went through. So I'm gonna read some texts. I'm gonna pray. And we're gonna jump into this journey with Jesus. You guys with me? Everybody with me? So we've got Psalms 118, 22. You're thinking, that has nothing to do with the last week of Jesus. Good, that's what I hoped you'd think. So let's read it. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. I'm gonna read it again for those of you who are slowly turning in your page. It'll be on the screens behind me as well, but it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Hey, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that that, uh, you've allowed me to be on this stage, God. I pray that everything I say, God, it wouldn't be my words, but be your words, God, and that it would challenge people and we would walk out of here different, God. We walk out of here challenged to to live more like you, Jesus. And I thank you for it. Everybody said amen and amen. So, you know, this verse, it talks about builders, right? And so I thought, well, I have a fantastic story about how good of a builder I am. I am if it's not a funny statement, I was being serious. <laughs> if, you, if you were to come to my home, you would know that I didn't build it, thankfully. It doesn't look like grandfather's mansion at Silver City. It looks like it was built by a builder. But my first home that I purchased, Amber and I purchased it in July of 2012. And we were getting ready to be, get married. So we're like, well, we both live at home. We've got to find somewhere to live together, I guess. So we found a home and we purchased it. And this home was a flip home, which is great except for we decided to purchase it pre-flip. So they, uh, the, these people had bought it and they were gonna flip it. And I was like, hey, would you sell that to me? Not fixed, so it'll be cheaper because I like to save money anywhere I can. And so they, she, the, 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 the group that owned it, they were like, sure, you know, we would do that for you. And so they sold it to me at a discounted rate and I was thankful for it. And this is July. Like I said, we got married in July 28th. This is July 12th that we closed on our home. And it's a flip home. And we're also at a church at this time. We did a youth camp the week, second week of July, a kids camp the third week of July. So I was a little bit busy, but I bought a flip home for us to move into July 29th. So we're just going to roll with it. And so it's this flip home and it needed, you know, needed flooring. It needed cabinets. It, somebody before had literally just taken everything. Like they're like, I'm not leaving nothing for these suckers because they got floor closed on, I guess. And they just took it all. I'm taking the cabinets with me. They took the heat and air unit with them. I don't even know how they got it out of the closet. Like I have no clue, but they took it all. And so we purchased the home. It's time to, to do the flip part of the home. Didn't realize what all that really entailed. And so we get the carpet down. I don't think I ever put trim down until we sold it like four years later. But we got the carpet down. Um, we get the HVAC stuff in. I didn't do that, don't worry. Um, we, and we get the cabinets and install everything. Everything's great, I think. I think. Install everything. Maybe, I don't know, it's probably six months later. This is a rough timeline, but six months later, Amber and I are sitting in our living room of our new home that's been flipped by me and some help of other people. 
where she's chilling in the living room. Her sister and brother, or her sister and her husband are at our house, and we're just watching TV, being, you know, just normal stuff. And we hear a noise, and it wasn't just like a small noise. We hear this loud boom, and then like a half a second, maybe two seconds later, we hear a second boom. And we're all sitting in the living room like, what was that? (laughs) Somebody just broke in. So I get up and I go into the kitchen where we had put cabinets in (laughs) and and where my wife had lovingly placed all of our new dishes in that, you know, of course we got when we got married. And the cabinet, one of the cabinets that we hung, I don't remember specifically hanging that one. I think it was the other guy. But still, nonetheless, I'll take the burden here because he's not here to defend himself. But still, the cabinet had fallen off the wall and flipped upside down, landed on the counter. That was the first thud. And it had done another flip and landed right side up on the floor. Nothing harmed, I'm thinking. Yes, it's good. Counter didn't break. That's a good thing. So that was my thought. Well, every dish inside the cabinet was broken. What had happened was apparently we didn't quite get it into all the studs in the wall. And the weight of the dishes decided to finally find its way out of the wall and onto the counter, onto the ground. So I tell you all that to say, you know, the scripture talks about the builder has rejected this. The stone is now going to become the cornerstone. I am not a builder and I should never, ever, ever be responsible for building things because things, bad things happen when I do. Amber knows that. My father knows that. As a kid growing up, that was my job, was to go and get the tools. I didn't get to use them. Go get that tool while my, your brother and I fixed the thing. So I don't fix things. I pay people to fix it because it's smarter that way. All I'm going to do is cost myself money and then pay them to fix it. So I just skip straight to the end. So I'm just not a builder. That's just not my wheelhouse. But we see in this story that this builder, it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. I said all that to say this. If you're not a builder... Don't try to build things. Okay, guys in the room, don't try it. Just hire it out. Let the guys that know what they're doing do it or surround yourself with people who can build things. So, hey, let's pick up our story in Luke. So we see in the events in the last week of Jesus, his life, they directly lead to his execution. So we're going to look at um, Luke. There's quite a bit of scripture here that I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and tell you the story of, and then we're going to get to a parable here at the end. But in Luke verses not, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, we begin with this story that is this, it's titled Jesus's triumphant entry. Um, Jesus's t- triumphant in- entry. If you were in huddle with us this morning, Pastor Ryan, thanks for preaching my message. He stole some of it. I was like, shut up. People aren't good. So he stole it in huddle, but it was, uh, it was good. It, it, he and I hadn't talked, so we believe that's the Holy Spirit and not just him stealing it. But so Jesus is traveling back for the festival of the Passover. And when we see this, we, it's not uncommon for Jesus to do this. When we look at scripture, we see that Jesus in, in Luke chapter two, his family did that. His family would travel back and we see that his, the story in Luke where his family traveled back and then Jesus' parents leave without Jesus and he is still at the temple teaching people. And so we see that, hey, first of all, side note, parents, it's okay if you're not doing it right. Jesus, the savior of the world, his parents left him in a city and they were already on their way without him. So if you're a parent in the room, you can know if you leave your kids somewhere, 
Jesus' parents did it too. So I'm just saying, know that it's okay. It is okay. We are, we are still good parents, even if we maybe do that, because Jesus was the savior of the world and they left him. My kids aren't the savior of the world, so I'm gonna assume I'm doing all right. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. And so Jesus, though, we, he's, he's headed back for this festival. And he's, as he's coming into town, he's actually kind of riding this kind of this big wave of popularity. Jesus has been doing things. He's got this great crowd of people that are following him everywhere he goes. And so, you know, in, in Bible times, these people are following him and they're, they're, they're tweeting out everything he does. They're like, Jesus is doing some cool things. They're sending out these tweets in Luke 19, right before this, Jesus had just been to the town and there was this guy named Zacchaeus up in a tree. And Jesus is like, hey, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. I'm staying with you. Everybody say, hashtag Zacchaeus was a, come on. You guys all know Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So he's, he's just, Jesus is wildly popular. Everything he does is getting tweeted and going viral. That's just what's happening at this time. So back to where we're at now though. So we're, we're at the, Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. You know, last week, Pastor Mark said it multiple times, but we're gonna see throughout Jesus's last week of his life that the Old Testament concealed is going to actually be the New Testament revealing that all throughout today's message. We're going to see that. And so we're going to see that Jesus sends some of his disciples ahead of him. He says, hey, go in front of me, go get a donkey from these people. If they ask you why, because I'm sure they're going to ask, you're stealing their animal. Like if they ask you why, just tell them the Lord sent you. So it's like, okay, we'll go steal a donkey. Like theft is okay at this point. So, but they asked, they told them the Lord sent him. So they, they go out and he says, send it. So go ahead and go get me a donkey. And so in, in fact, we look in, in Zechariah 9, 9, it says, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So not only did they get a donkey, they got a donkey that's never been ridden before. That's the one I would want if I was Jesus. Give me the one that nobody's ridden. Like that's just what Jesus says. So the disciples did that. So we see that even years before Jesus ever walked on the earth, years before anything about Jesus has ever happened, Zechariah, in, in Zechariah, the, the Old Testament, they said a king is going to come riding on a donkey. We're seeing the Old Testament is talking about this king. And now we see the New Testament. The king is saying, I'm here. It's no longer he's coming. Now it's I'm here. I am here. It's time for me to be arrive onto the scene. I'm getting tweeted about. I'm doing all these things. The king's like, I have arrived and he's showing up in the town. So Jesus has fulfilled what was spoken about in the Old Testament about a king that's coming. So Jesus is coming in. Everybody's cheering and shouting. They're all laying their clothes out on the road for him. Can you say red carpet? Come on. They're throwing their clothes on the ground for him. And Jesus is riding into town. And as they near Jerusalem, it says that they begin shouting. Luke 19, verse 38 says, Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. He said that the people are shouting praises of Jesus as he is coming in. They're giving their clothes and just throwing them on the ground so that he doesn't have to walk in the dirt or ride in the dirt on this donkey. They are recognizing the king. They are acknowledging that a king is here. And then we see the Pharisees, they hate it. They hate this. They're, they're, they, they tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, could you tell them to quit? Just tell them to shut up. Like, we don't want that. The Pharisees are like, can you just rebuke them? And I love Jesus' reply. His reply in Luke 19, 40, it says, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road 
would burst into cheer. Come on, if they kept quiet, that's a message in itself that if they kept quiet, the stones are gonna cheer for me. Every single thing recognizes a king. Everything in all of creation recognizes its creator. These stones, it says, would cry out if the people didn't. Come on, somebody. If we're not willing to cry out the stones, are, so we better get ourselves ready to praise God and the king that has arrived. We better be ready because if not, the rocks will. So the story continues on as Jesus is drawing closer and closer to Jerusalem. It says that Jesus, and this leads us into our next story that's in that, that part of scripture in Luke 19, 42. It says he begins to weep. Jesus begins to weep. And then he, in Luke 19, it says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Jesus is, isn't weeping because of, of, of his coming death. He's not weeping because of that. He's weeping because he knows that in the coming years, Jerusalem is going to fail because they have not recognized the king that has been sent to them. He's not weeping because he's going to die. We all know that Easter's coming, right? He's not weeping because of that. He's weeping because this town, this city of Jerusalem that has this great opportunity to recognize what's in front of them is completely blind to it. They're completely blind to what's coming. The, the, at this time, the, the priests and the religious leaders, they had missed the point of what Jesus was about. They had missed it completely. Their love of money and hatred towards people is going to be the very reason that they fail. Their love of money is, and hatred towards people is why they will fail. So we've gotten this story. We've gotten this far. Jesus has traveled into, towards Jerusalem. Jesus gets to Jerusalem. He's weeping. And so now Jesus has made it into Jerusalem. He is there. He's arrived. The king has shown up and he goes to the temple. Jesus goes to the temple. And as he enters that temple, Jesus is filled with anger because the temple has become a marketplace and less of a temple. The temple has become a place where people are bringing sacrifices. They're not just bringing sacrifice for themselves, but they're bringing a sacrifice and they're trying to sell it to other people. They're like, oh, you don't have your, I got a sacrifice for you. Just give me $10,000. Like they're selling sacrifices in the temple. So Jesus isn't angry about the sacrifice itself. That's not his anger. His anger isn't positioned toward the fact that they're giving sacrifices. It's that they're selling them to others so that they can have their sacrifice. You see, they've tried to create this loop loophole of, well, oh, I don't have my sacrifice. Oh, I have a sacrifice. Here's my sacrifice. I just purchased it. I didn't, I didn't sacrifice anything. I've just purchased it. Jesus isn't angry because they're sacrificing, but it's because of the way that they're going about getting their sacrifice. They found a loophole. They try to take matters into their own hands. They're finding ways that they can obey what the law says, but really, in, in actuality, it's partial obedience. They're not obeying fully. They're just partially obeying what this law says because they're giving a sacrifice, but it's not really their sacrifice. It's not their sacrifice. So they're partially obeying what the law says they're supposed to do. So we're going to see that Jesus' actions in the temple had a direct impact on his execution that's come. Jesus, he was continuing to just call out the priests and the religious leaders of this time He's continuing to call them out for their corrupt ways that they've been living. He's continuing to call out to them and they want him dead because of it. They're like, we, we gotta get rid of this guy. Like he's, he is shining a light on what we've been doing and we don't want the people to see it. We don't want this. And so Jesus is calling them out for everything they do. But due to Jesus's popularity, you know, the hashtags we're talking about earlier, right? But due to his popularity, they couldn't really do anything. They couldn't do anything. All right, it's quite the intro, huh? 
We're ready to get started. We're ready to jump in and see what God has for us. We've made it to our key story for today. We're going to sit down with Jesus. We're going to eavesdrop in on him telling a story to the priests and the religious leaders in this time. So Jesus has just been there. He's been calling them out all week, then shining a light on all the things that they're doing and saying, hey, this isn't right. You're messed up. You need to get this fixed. He's calling them out. And Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to tell a story. In the Bible, we call it a parable. And if you've been here, you've heard us say this, but a parable is just an earthly story with heavenly principles embedded in it. So we're going to look at this story and know that what's being said isn't truly what he means, but it's being said so that people can learn from it. And that's what Jesus does. What I love about Jesus's parables is he tells a story that is relevant to them right where they're at. Jesus's story is relevant to them. So I don't think Jesus, if he were here today, would have came in and been like, all right, so you're the tenant farmers and you're, he wouldn't have told the story he tells now. He would have made it relevant to our day, to us, so that we understood what's going on. So this is a parable. We're gonna, if you've got your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 20, verses nine through 19. Everybody with me? Everybody still awake? Everybody good to go? I'm used to preaching to youth, so I got to make sure you guys are all awake still, let alone not over in the corner trying to hug on your girlfriend, you know? I just got to, I've just got to keep my eyes filled. I see you, Pastor Mark. You keep some, <laughs> see some room for Jesus in here today. That's my rule in youth is there's got to be room for Jesus. So I don't know how big he was, but he's probably not real skinny. So leave a little room. So Everybody there? If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. Luke 29 through 19. This is a little bit of scripture. I'm going to read it and we're going to learn from it. Luke 29 through 19. This is the parable of the evil farmers. It says, now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. Anytime Jesus talks, we better listen, right? So he says, a man planted a vineyard, leased it to tenant farmers, and he moved to another country to live for several years. Talk about being well off, right? I'm just going to plant this and I'm leaving. (laughs) So he says, and at the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant, but they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. I don't know about you, ball, but if I'm the farmer's servant, I'm not volunteering to go and get the crops because he says a third man gets sent. And if I'm the third guy, I'm like, are you sure you want to send me? Like, I don't know that I need to go. I'm not the guy for the job. Send send this guy. He's bigger than me. They might not beat him up. So he says a, a third man gets sent. They wounded him and chased him away. What will I do? The owner said, I know I'll send my cherished son In the NIV, it states, I'll send my son whom I love. Surely they will respect him. So that when the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to each other, here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they drag him out of the vineyard and they murder him. Come on, the Bible's real, y'all. The Bible is raw. Jesus is telling them they murdered this guy. So what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them? Jesus said, I'll tell you, he will come, he will kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to other people. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen, his listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, then what does this scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. You guys are like, whoa, 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 Pastor Duell. Hold up. You read that from Psalms earlier. This is in Luke. You, 
That's the point, all right? We read this verse earlier. This is more of that Old Testament being concealed. It says it in Psalms. This has been written years before. And Jesus is bringing it back to the light. He's saying, because he knows. He knows the religious leaders and the, the priests. They know this story of this stone being rejected. So Jesus is saying, hey, check this out. Remember in Psalms? Now I'm gonna say it. What does it mean? What do you think it means? So Jesus says the stone that was the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Then it says, everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. The teachers of religious law and the leading priests, they wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he's telling a story against them. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Hey, let's pray and let's do it. Jesus, I thank you, God, for this story. I pray that, that as we look at this, God, we would be able to learn from it, God, and we would see that, that maybe, we, maybe we are those priests. Maybe we're the religious leaders, God, but we would turn our ways and we would be more like you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, so Jesus telling this story, I believe, had a direct impact on his execution. You see, as we see in verse 19, at the very end, it says, that they wanted to arrest Jesus right then. They wanted to, let's get him out of here. He is shining too many lights on way too many things. We got to get rid of him. They wanted him gone. They wanted to arrest him, but they knew that they couldn't because of the people, because Jesus is so popular. They knew that it wasn't possible. They knew that this parable though was about their corruption, but they were just too scared. They were too scared of the reaction of the people who were following Jesus. So the story starts off, right, with some people some guys who own a vineyard and they plant a vineyard and then they just leave. They bolt, they leave town and they allow someone else to farm their land for them. So, you know, you, you lease some land to these guys. All right, I'm leaving. You guys take care of it. I'll just, I'll just take my money when it's time for my money, right? So this guy's leave town. Seems pretty harmless in itself. I, even today, we have people who lease land from farmers for a set fee. Like it's not uncommon, but they lease this land. But the issue is, is the owners of this land that Jesus is talking about the story, the owners of this land are these priests. And the real, the real issue is, is that the law of Moses required that priests didn't own any land. They were not allowed to. It was against the law that they are supposed to uphold. They're not supposed to own land. And so they, they're already breaking the rules. They're already bending the law to fit themselves. They're, they're, they're not allowed to own it, but they are. And not only that, at this time in this region, the priests owned a large majority of the land. So not only were they not supposed to own it, they owned more than anybody else. And they weren't even, they weren't paying their tithes on it. And so they were just continuing to create bad habit after bad habit after bad habit. And so Jesus is calling them out on it. We look further into the story. We see it's time for the harvest. It's time for the harvest, for the grapes to be harvested. So they send the servant to gather their profits. The, the tenant farmers are there. The owner's like, hey, they're going to harvest those grapes. Can you go down and get what's mine? Send it, just go get what's mine. They owe me. They send the guy, they attack him and beat him up. And this is repeated two more times. We see it. It's repeated twice, again, over and over to the servants. Again, like I said, I'm the third servant. I'm saying I am not going. <laughs> Pick somebody else. I'm not the guy for you. So the owner at this point is beside himself. What do I do? What am I supposed to do? I've sent my servants. All they do is beat them up send them back. They don't do what they're supposed to do. So like, what am I supposed to do? He says, I will send my son. I'm going to send my cherished son. The way the NIV read was my son whom I love. My son whom I love. And in that time, this expression would be common when, a, when, a, when somebody only has one son, when they only have one son. I think we even look at scriptures to date 
or look at scriptures of, of God speaking of, and God says, I'm sending my one and only son, my one and only son who I love. In John 3, 16, God sends his one and only son, but this, this farmer's sending his one and only son whom he loves. Because it seems true that, that this is proven true by the fact that the tenants thought, well, if we kill this guy, we'll be the heirs to the throne. Meaning we know that there's no other sons because if we kill him, we would be the heirs. Because in that time, it wasn't uncommon for if there was not an heir to a property, for the farmer, the owner to leave it to the people who leased it. It wasn't uncommon. So their thoughts are this, we'll just kill him and then we'll get the land. We'll kill this guy and it's ours. Well, see, the issue with that is the farmer isn't dead. You're killing the son, but the owner's not dead. So you're not going to get it, right? That's not how this works. Because the owner decides to send my son whom I love. And this is another opportunity for us to see the Old Testament concealed and then Jesus revealing it when he's telling the story. Because the term my son whom I love or my beloved son, it points all the way back to Genesis 22. We can look all the way back to Genesis 22 and see where Isaac is called Abraham's beloved son. Isaac, if you don't know the story, Abraham was told to use him as a sacrifice, right? So at this time, anytime we see Jesus being referred to as my only son or beloved son in the New Testament, it's referring all the way back to Genesis. It's referring all the way back to the Old Testament with Isaac being the, um, the son of Abraham. And God's just laying the groundwork, even in Genesis, for his son whom he loves to come to the world a wrecked world, and be the son of sacrifice. God's going to sacrifice his only son, his son whom he loves for you and me in the world. Jesus is laying the groundwork, even God's laying the groundwork, even in Genesis for what's about to come in the New Testament and be revealed. The king has arrived. The king is here. So he sent his son, his son who he loves, his only son. Like I said, but the issue is we kill him the father's still alive. But that's the thing, uh, the thing about how twisted sinful can get us to think. These guys were so twisted in their sinful thinking that they just instantly knew that if we kill the heir, we're going to get this. They had completely been blinded to the fact that the owner's still alive. You're not going to get it. The owner's probably not going to just be like, oh, well, they killed my son. I guess they can just have my land. That's not how this works. That's, they were so twisted. Their, their sinful thinking had their blinders so blind to the fact that the owner is still here. We, we, we thought this, oh, but it didn't work because of that. How often do we do that? We take it into our own hands of, oh, I, I can just do this. We get so blinded by our will that we forget the will of the owner, the will of the owner of this land. So we can look at this text and begin to see that Jesus is alluding to the execution that is coming in the days ahead. You see, the farmers have killed the heir, and Jesus is going to ask them a question that is clearly a rhetorical question. Because it answers it right away. We look at verse 15 and 16. It says, what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard is going to do to them? Jesus asked. And then he said, I'll tell you, he's going to come and kill them. And he'll just lease the vineyard to other people. So that Jesus is like, I'm not actually asking you this question. I'm just going to answer it for you. If they kill the son like they, like they did in the story, he's not going to let that just slide. He's going to come and take care of his business. And then he's going to give the land and let somebody else use it. That's what Jesus is saying the owner's going to do. He didn't mince his words here. Remember, this is just a parable that Jesus is using as a teaching tool, but he's alluding to the fall of the leadership of all of Jerusalem. He's alluding to the fall of the priests and the religious people because they've been so corrupt for so long that, that the peace is far gone. There's no way that this is going to work out. So Jesus is alluding to the fact that, hey, 
you as Jewish religious and religious leaders and priests, you're about to fail. You're about to be removed. You're about to get lose the, the title you once held. He's alluding to the fact that, the, and that's why they, in the scripture it says, may this never be. The people, the, the religious leaders and the priests are like, whoa, may this never happen because they don't want it. They realize Jesus is talking about them. And they're like, oh no, God, not us. Like they're starting to recognize the error of their ways. Kim, if you don't mind to jump back on the keys, you don't have to jump, I guess, but at least come back to them. So let's look at the text though. Let's see what happens next. Verse 17, Jesus looks at them and says, then what does this scripture mean? Again, like I said, he knows that these religious leaders and priests will know the text that he's quoting. It says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Like I said, we see Jesus quoting Psalms 118, 22, and that the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Old Testament's concealed. Now it's being revealed by Jesus in the New Testament. He's saying, I, I, I have come. We see in the story, Jesus is making it plain that any and everything hinges on this stone. Anything and everything going on in their lives hinges on this stone. And Jesus is saying, I'm the stone. I'm the cornerstone. That's where Jesus is telling them, I, it all hinges on me. It doesn't hinge on the law. It doesn't hinge on you disobeying the law. It, everything that's gonna happen is gonna be hinged on me. Because God sent me, the king has arrived. You've already, you've seen him recognize that the king has shown up in Jerusalem. The king is here. And now everything that you see, it all hinges on what I'm about to do. Jesus knows he is headed to Easter weekend, right? He knows what's going on. And he's saying, everything that's about to happen hinges on this. Not what you thought, not what you think, but it's what's coming. He says, I've arrived, I'm the king, and what's coming is me. What he's saying is, what the world has rejected, Okay, himself, these priests, religious leaders, they've rejected Jesus. They've rejected his teachings. They've rejected his miracles. They've rejected everything he's done, but there's still a following that's followed him because he's the king and they know it. He's saying what everything has been rejected is now going to be the cornerstone. Jesus is making it plain. So today the question or challenge maybe that I'd like to pose for all of us is this. Have we allowed Jesus to be the cornerstone of our lives so much that, so that everything we do depends on him? So much so that everything you do in your everyday life depends on Jesus being the cornerstone of it. You see, I know most of you are thinking, man, Pastor Dool, yeah, I, I've done that. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't done these things. We think about these grand things, right? That, that, oh, I didn't do this and I haven't done that. And so we're like, yeah, I have Jesus. He's the cornerstone of my life. See, I believe we've been called to do more than just obey the big things. We've been called to do more than just do the big things. The religious leaders and priests, they were doing that. They knew the law, but they were creating loopholes to justify what they were doing. They're creating these loopholes to partially obey what they knew was right. And I'll say it today, it's partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience to what God has called you to do is still disobedience. And not only that, I'll take it a step further, delayed obedience is disobedience. If you know that God's called you to do something, maybe you feel like, oh man, it's tugging on my heart. I'm supposed to go buy that person a meal. And you delay that, delaying 
delayed obedience is still disobedience to what God has called you to do. You're robbing God of the opportunity to show up in someone's life when you delay your obedience to him. You rob God of the opportunity. It's not for you. It's not because you, to pat yourself, oh, I bought their dinner. It's not for us. But when we do what God's called us to do, then God can continue to work in others' lives the way he wants to work. But God chooses to allow us to be a part. God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. God chooses to use each and every one of us on a daily basis. And are you allowing Jesus to be the cornerstone that hinges everything together? The cornerstone that pieces everything together. Oh, Pastor Joel, it's just really hard to, to, to quit getting so easily angered at my kids. You don't understand. They're just, they're just crazy. They, they don't listen until I lose my cool. The Bible tells us not to be easily angered. Oh, Pastor Duel, though, you don't understand. I, I, I need that substance, whatever that is. I need that substance. This has been a stressful week at work. You don't understand. I just need that to just knock the edge off. Oh, Pastor Duel, they cut me off in traffic. So I had all the right in the world to wave the California hello at them. That's not what God's called us to do, though. And the worst part is maybe we got our Destiny Church sticker on the back of our car. We're called to be above. We're called to do more than just the mundane, simple things. We are called for higher things. Partial obedience to God's word is disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. We're called to do so much more than just create loopholes that justify our actions. We're called to do more. So I want to leave you with this thought. Where in your life are you not being fully obedient to the word of God? Where in your life are you not being fully obedient to what God has called you to do? It might not be these huge, grandiose things, but I believe Jesus is seen more often in the mundane than the, the magnificent and miraculous. Jesus is seen in the mundane, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday actions more than he's seen on a Sunday morning when a preacher steps up on a stage and preaches. You are called to be Jesus to this world. And where are you allowing yourself to not be fully obedient to God's word? Where have you allowed partial obedience to take the place of full surrender to God's will for your life? Hey, let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.